You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Hey, if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 5? And before we get there, just one more word on PSSH, which you saw this morning, Pregnancy Support Services of Hamilton. Uh, This is not necessarily a ministry that we have launched or birthed from our church, but it's a ministry, as many of you maybe saw, is widely supported by members of this church. Uh, We love this ministry. It provides unique gospel-centered support and light into the city of Hamilton, and they do such great work. So listen, maybe you're not able to come alongside them and work with them. Maybe you're not able even to come alongside them and support them financially, but would you do me a favor after the service? Stop by and see them at the table and just give them a word of encouragement. Maybe even offer to pray for them and, and know that God is doing a great work in and through that ministry. Hey, one more thing before we start. Hey, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, amen. We love the role of moms in our church. One of the hardest jobs and one of the greatest ways that moms see the grace of God in their lives. So we're very thankful for that role and very thankful for you ladies here this morning. All right, if you've got your Bible, Acts 5, we're in the middle of a series we're calling Gospel Advance. And I'll remind you, the point of the whole series is to stir up a passion in your life, to renew the perspective in your life, and to reset your purpose in life to the things that really matter. What we want is is your mind wrapped around the truths of the gospel. What we want is your heart embracing the rich perspective of the gospel and for you to see the gospel in ways that you have never seen before. So this is where we've been. We saw week one, the gospel is my purpose and we're to share it, to understand that my whole life is to be framed around the whole point is the gospel message. And then we saw last week, the gospel comes at a cost, lots of sacrifice, sometimes suffering even. We're to count that cost. And here's where we're going this week. The gospel cannot be stopped. Love it. So as you leave here today, I want your hearts to be filled with a love for the gospel like maybe they've never been filled before. What you got to know, though, is that the gospel cannot be stopped. It's moving forward. It's smashing forward right against the gates of hell. Not even the gates of hell can stop it. Nothing can stop it. It's transforming lives day by day and hour by hour. So the question I have for you, the question I have for you this morning is, are you going with it? If you know that the gospel is unstoppable, if you know that it's moving forward, are you going with it? Do you recognize this? Well, true believers in Jesus Christ are going with it. They're counting the cost. They're dying to self. They're seeing their purpose is all about the gospel. They're seeing the gospel cannot be stopped, and they love it. Well, may that be so in our lives. Praying that for you, praying that for me. In fact, let's do that. Right now, let's bow together and ask the Lord for help. God, we come to you now at this beginning point in this time in our service, not because it's something we always do, but God, we come now because we need you. We need you to open our hearts. We need you to tell us the truth that we need to understand. We need you to be working because if you're not working, if you're not teaching, if you're not opening hearts, then nothing is happening in this room. We want change. We want to be gripped again. We want to love this truth that we will hear this morning. 
And so God, we ask, we invite, we beg that you would please move. Please help us to understand and please change us for you and for your glory. We are helpless without you. And so God, we ask, please, for your help in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to today's text, I want to give you a little teeny bit of a history lesson, and it'll help us understand where we're going. I want to introduce you to Charles Babbage. Maybe you know him. He invented, or was one of the initial inventors, uh, as part of some of the components of computers that we know today. Maybe that's how you know Charles Babbage. But he also invented this other thing. It's the cow catcher. I love the name of the cow catcher. You know, it's that pointy thing that sticks out in front of a locomotive. Uh, We don't see them that often today. They've been modified. But that's what they used to look like way back when he invented it. The cow catcher, like I said, has a great name because you're not catching cows with that. You're pushing cows with that. You're shoving cows out of the way. In fact, that's what he invented it for so that it would clear the rail of any obstructions or anything that could be dangerous to the operator of the locomotive, this cow catcher is absolutely unstoppable. Now, the thing I love about that is that the cow catcher is not unstoppable because of how it's made. If you were to see a cow catcher laying out, separated from the locomotive, on the floor in your living room, you might ask the question, what's that doing there in my living room? But secondly, you wouldn't be afraid of it. You wouldn't hide behind your couch. You wouldn't hesitate to run up and touch it. It wouldn't be dangerous to you because it's just sitting there. No, what, 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 what makes the cow catcher so unstoppable is the 50-ton locomotive that's driving it. If you're standing on the railroad tracks looking at a cow catcher and it's coming towards you, that's not the time to be calm. That's the time to get out of the way because now that thing is absolutely unstoppable. In the same way, we're going to look today at the unstoppable nature of the gospel. The gospel is the engine driving forward this amazing, unstoppable force. But at front of the engine, there are some cow catchers. There are some things that are absolutely, completely unstoppable. And the truth for you this morning, if you would believe it, if you would love the gospel, if you would embrace the gospel, if you would open your eyes and be renewed with the, with the love for the gospel like you've never had before, if you would embrace it like that, then you will have three awesome, awesome, unstoppable realities coming forth in your life. Three amazing things that will happen in your life. I want to show you those three things. And the truth is, is that more you love the gospel, the more unstoppable they become. But before, before, I know you've been so patient. Before we get to our passage today, let me back you up a little bit into the backstory of Acts, okay? Before we get to Acts 5, let me walk you back to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1, the Lord Jesus Christ ascends into heaven and the promised Holy Spirit has arrived. And he has chosen the harvest festival of Pentecost. 50 days after Passover to make his grand appearance. And since he has been here, the Holy Spirit has been empowering the believers with boldness to preach the gospel. The gospel train has been moving forward, unstoppably moving forward. And the Holy Spirit has been pairing the message of the gospel with great and astonishing works. And literally thousands of believers are bowing the knee to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Thousands are coming to him. Well, the religious leaders... Understandably, they're jealous. All the attention from them is gone now. And they call in the fishermen and the riffraff, and they say, stop 
preaching the gospel. They warn them, you better knock it off. You better stop preaching the gospel. Well, the fishermen and the riffraff look at the religious leaders and they say, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, forget you. You try seeing what we've seen and be silent. And so they step out of those meetings and they say, okay, well, let's, let's make a decision. Are we going to be silent or are we going to preach the gospel? And guess what they choose? They choose to preach the gospel. And the gospel train goes forward and more and more lives are added into the kingdom of God. More and more come to Jesus Christ. Well, well the gospel train keeps going, keeps going, and then they call them in and get jailed. They bring them in and they capture them. They throw them into jail in the middle of the night. But here's the truth. Bars don't stop the gospel the gospel train keeps moving forward, and God breaks them out of jail in a miraculous event. And by the way, if you're reading the book of Acts, and you're a believer, and you're in the middle of a jail cell, and it's night, you're totally getting out of jail. That happens three times in the book of Acts. In the middle of the night, the Lord rescues and redeems and delivers his people. And sure enough, these folk, as they're trapped in jail, God breaks them out. They walk out in the middle of the temple court, and guess what they do? They preach the gospel again. And the gospel train moves on and on. Well, the religious leaders hate this, but the problem is, is that the crowd loves it. They are hearing the message. They love the disciples. They love the fishermen. They love the riffraff. They want to hear. They're curious. What is this all about? And so the religious leaders are torn. If we take them from the crowd, they'll stone us. So they go up quietly, tap them on the shoulder, presumably, and say, I'm sorry, <clears throat> if you have a moment, could you come with us? And that's where we pick up the story in verse 27. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The gospel cannot be stopped. And when you choose, loved ones, when you choose this morning to love the gospel like that, when you choose to love the gospel like that, and the gospel engine drives forward in your life, there's some prominent things that come with it. These cow catchers, as it were. These unstoppable realities. Let me show you the first one. It's right there in that text right there. The first unstoppable reality is you find unstoppable, unstoppable obedience. Unstoppable obedience that's fueled by unerring truth. Unstoppable obedience fueled by unerring truth. What comes first on the train? Well, it's obedience. When I love the truth of the gospel, when I love it, when I love it, I will walk in obedience. It just happens. I will obey. When the truth begins to stoke the boiler of the gospel in my life, the train moves forward and obedience becomes reality in my life. Obedience in the face of fear. Obedience in the face of opposition. Obedience in the face of uncertainty. Obedience in the face of when my, when my relatives and my family and my friends reject me. Obedience in the face of those around me when there's pressure on me. I will choose to obey because I love the truths of the gospel. It becomes unstoppable in my life. And that's the truth for us this morning. When you believe the gospel and the truths of the gospel, and for all it is, when you believe it, when you believe it, unstoppable obedience results in your life. 
unstoppable obedience. Well, the disciples are called in, in in the middle, in the middle of the Sanhedrin, this court of power. It looked a little bit like this. Some of the writers have have, have kind of described it like this. It's 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 a room off to the side of the temple where these 70 plus one, the high priest, would meet, and they would hold counsel, and they would decide matters of religious affairs in the day. This is a place of power, at least by the world standards. It's a windowless room, torches burning, walking in. Notice they're seated higher than you. You walk in alone, and here are this oval shape of of, of opposition staring down on you, and then the one man on top of the throne looking really down on you. This is a place of power. And make no doubt, loved ones, this is a real danger the disciples are in. Not weeks before, a man stood there, was spat upon, was rejected, was slapped, was condemned to die. Their own Savior, Jesus Christ, stood in this room alone and was sentenced to death. This is a place of real earthly danger. Keyword, earthly. You see, the disciples are not seeing it like that. They don't think that they're really in a lot of extreme danger. These men had power as the earth sees it, but not as the disciples see it. Verse 28, they essentially say to them, listen, 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 we told you, we told you not to teach in the name, in this name. Whose name? Jesus' name. And yet you've, you've, you've gone out and you have filled all of Jerusalem with, 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 with Jesus. You've, you've just gone out and done it all over Jerusalem. You picture this like, 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 a, like a parent talking to a child. I told you not to take this crayon and to write on anything but paper. And yet here we are standing in your room, and you have gone through five crayons to write all over the walls. It's the tone of what's going on here. I told you not to speak the name of Jesus. I am the high priest. And yet you left, and you spoke Jesus everywhere you went. What's wrong with you guys? Don't you listen? Don't you hear? But these men did hear. They were hearing something different. These men were gripped by the unerring truths of the gospel. And that knowledge and that understanding brings Peter to open up his mouth. And the rest, along with the rest of the apostles, they declare in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. We have a higher authority than you. We don't recognize your authority. That's unstoppable obedience. When there's fear when there's doubt, when it's difficult, when you don't know what will happen. You love the gospel and you speak it. And they're gripped by the unerring truths of the gospel. And listen, when you are gripped by the truth of the gospel, some surprising things will begin to happen. Look with me at verse 30. This is Peter speaking. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who would obey him. Do you know what's happening here that's absolutely incredible? Do you know what's happening here that's absolutely... This is what obedience looks like. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, in the midst of what could happen to you, they radically obey. Do you see what's happening? 
The high priest calls him in along with the council of Sanhedrin. And they say, listen, 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 listen. What's wrong with you guys? We told you not to preach the gospel. We told you not to leave and to tell and to fill this city with the message of Jesus Christ. We told you to knock it off or serious things would happen. And then they come in and they say, we obey God rather than men. And then verse 30, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's preaching the gospel to them. He stands in front of the, of the Sanhedrin and he says, oh, you, you know what? You're right. You told us not to do that. We must obey God rather than men. And so guess what? Let me share with you the gospel right to the, right to the enemies themselves. In this scene, in this scene, the gospel is extended to those who rejected Christ. The gospel is preached right to the heart of the religious authorities. That's boldness. That's obedience. That's a radical, unstoppable obedience but they're they're gripped by the truth. These men hold the truths in their lives. This is what he says, essentially, verse 30. You believe, you believe that you worship God, but he sent his son and you killed him. But God raised him, proving that he is his son, proving that you are wrong. And not only is he raised, verse 31, but he's exalted. He's lifted high and he freely offers. He freely offers Sanhedrin. He freely offers repentance and forgiveness of sins. Today, you who are listening to the council, if you would repent and believe, you would find the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 32, we saw it. We saw it with our own eyes and the Holy Spirit saw it. And he testifies to it. And if you take that truth, if you take that truth and you obey it, and you ask for a turning from your sin and a turning to him for forgiveness, you can have it also. You can have it also. It's a scene of incredible boldness, isn't it? That's what happens when you have the truth and you believe the truths of the gospel. When you take it and you believe it in your life, obedience results. Where does that truth fit in your life today? You know the reverse is true, right? Just as obedience is fueled by truth, disobedience and neglect is fueled by lies, a turning away from the reality of the gospel. Where has obedience disappeared in your life? Where has truth gone? You know, they say, they say that in any conflict, any war, the first casualty is truth. Same is true here, right? It's like, it's like when you watch a, 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 a Star Trek, let's say, and you, 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 they see they land a, a landing party into a hostile environment, and you have four actors that you know and one actor that you don't know, and you can point to the screen and say, that guy's totally getting it. He's going first. Truth always, always goes first in your life. That harkens back to Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent tempts Eve in the garden, distorting and twisting the truth. Romans chapter 1 tells us that we suppress the truth first. We have to. We have to silence our ears to the truth of an unstoppable and holy God. We have to silence our eyes and our understanding and our heart to the love of the gospel before we can fall away from it. Truth is always the first casualty. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not getting this series. I'm just not understanding this whole thing about gospel advance. I'm not understanding the passion. I'm not understanding the enthusiasm. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. Look, I've tried. They don't listen. 
Look, I, I want to share, but it's not me. It's not me. Come on. Can I live some other way than this? Can I live in exclusion to the command to make disciples? Can I be the exception to the rule? Can we just pass it off to you professionals? I'll tell you this, you've lost sight of the unerring truth of the gospel. We can choose, can't we, to live in disobedience because it's easy. Hey, how about other areas of obedience in your life? You know, the gospel, when we think of the gospel advancing, we think of the gospel advancing out into the far reaches of the, of, of the, of the earth, and, and that's the essential nature of this series. But the gospel advances in my life too, right? How has the gospel been silenced in other areas of my life? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm trying to fix my sin, fix my sin by bringing in other things, thinking that that's the solution to the gospel. That, that's, that's the solution to my sin nature. If 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 I substitute the gospel with something else, like let's say even good things, like let's, I'll bring in accountability and then I'll stop sinning. I'll, I'll, I'll bring in, I'll get the books and I'll read the books and then and then I'll stop sinning. I'll try harder and then I'll stop sinning. I'll concentrate more, and then I will stop sinning. Listen, loved ones, that's bad fuel for your gospel in your life. That's bad fuel. The only thing that stops, the only thing that fuels unstoppable obedience in my life is a love for the truths of the gospel. It's the only thing that stops. When I understand, when I understand in my sinfulness that God loves me, God loves me, even me, with who I am and what I've done. And that God loves me so much. He saw me in my weakened, in my sinful state, under the judgment and the wrath of God, following my own ways, running away from God, thumbing my nose all the way, running from him. God saw me and he loved me. And he looks upon me and says, I love him so much, but I have to punish the sin. I have to give the consequences, but I love him so much. And I understand the truths of the gospel and I see that the solution to this whole problem is the person of Jesus Christ. I will punish Jesus. He will carry the weight. He will carry the burden of Craig's sin. And I will welcome my son in. And he will receive the forgiveness. When I fight my sin from that truth and the truth of the gospel, that's when I really start fighting. I don't fight it with other things. Only the power of the gospel can bring about obedience in my life. Listen, you struggle here this morning with sin, maybe specific sin. Maybe you struggle here this morning with the sin of addictions to pornography. Listen, your solution is not that you need to get offline. Your solution is not that you need to throw out your computer, address your actions, get the accountability software. Listen, I promise you, I promise you, you will never change until you see the unerring truths of the gospel that tells you that Christ loves you infinitely more than these things that you pursue. And then he can give you infinite satisfaction far more than these temporal fleeting passions that you have. Only through the gospel can you be free. Maybe you struggle with something different. Maybe this morning you're struggling with, with the way you look constantly. Constantly thinking about your self-image, who you are. Listen, your solution is not to get different clothes. Your solution is not to fix your hair, to whiten your teeth, to do something different with the way you look. I promise you this, you will never, never change. You will never be satisfied with who you are. You will never be thankful for the way that God made you until you understand the truths of the gospel. 
when you understand that Christ loves you and that a value has been placed upon your life of infinite, then you will never be satisfied. But when you see that Christ has loved you and he laid down his life for you, that's where your value comes from. You struggle with sharing the gospel? You struggle with that area of obedience in your life? Listen, your solution is not to overcome your timidity, to overcome your embarrassment, to overcome your shyness, to brush up on some words, to maybe go to a speaking class. Those things are helpful. But until you get the fire in your belly for the truths of the gospel, you will never open your mouth. Until you can look at your neighbor and see them as truly lost without Jesus Christ, you will never open your mouth. Until you look at that family member and see them apart from Christ and see yourself in Christ and the joy that you have, you will never share with them. Until you stop fearing men and start fearing God, you will never overcome your hesitation to share the gospel. Listen, you want to change, you want obedience in all areas of your life, not just in the gospel. The first step you take is loving the truth of the gospel. The first step you take is calling out to the Lord, Lord, light a fire in me for this. It's a great time to mention that you can do this with all of us this Wednesday as you come to our prayer meeting. Why not fill a room with people crying out for this? Lord, grip me with the gospel one more time. Fire me up with these truths. Because when I get fired up with the truth of the gospel, obedience is fueled in my life. It's reality. Here's another reality. When you're fired up about the gospel and others aren't, you can expect opposition. You can expect sometimes strong opposition. So that's why we're not surprised when we read in verse 33, when they, that's the Sanhedrin, heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So what happens now, verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care for what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claimed to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away from some of the people, drew some of the people away after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. Verse 38, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan and this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. Listen, loved ones, the gospel can't be stopped. When you choose to love the gospel, you'll see unstoppable obedience. But now secondly, I want to show you this. You'll see unstoppable power in your life that's fueled by unfailing grace. Unstoppable power that's fueled by unfailing grace. So Gamaliel stands up in the middle of this congregation. He's the most respected panel member. Uh, Paul tells us in chapter 22 of the book of Acts that uh, Paul studied under Gamaliel. He's a very respected man. He, his name carried weight with it. In fact, very likely, he's the most respected man in the council at the time because the high priest role was rotational. Gamaliel probably would have served a term, but they still looked to him. His voice had the most weight. And so he stands up, and essentially he says, listen, boys, boys, 
Time out. Send them out. They go out. He says, listen, listen. History has proven some facts to us. History in two cases has shown us that plans of men will fail. Verse 36, he describes this guy named Thutis. He claimed to be somebody. He got 400 men, and then he got himself dead, and then everybody scattered. That was instance number one. And then who could forget Judas, the Galilean? Well, he got some people too. He he, uh, got some people, and then he also got himself dead, and then his people scattered. So if you're keeping score here, 0 for 2. Thutis died, people dispersed. Judas died, people scattered. Translation, verse 38, he says, wisdom part. Keep away from these men and leave them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you won't be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. Translation, we might not need to do anything here, boys. We might just need to let this fizzle out. This could be like disco or new Coke or acid wash jeans. Here for a little bit of time. Annoying, yeah, but then gone. We might not need to do anything. Now what I want you to do is turn over in your Bible to absolutely nowhere where this fizzles out. Because it doesn't. Look in your history books to absolutely no place and no period of time when this fizzles out. The reality is that this is unstoppable. This is of God. It doesn't stop. It keeps driving forward and moving forward and driving forward and moving forward. There has never been a moment. There has never been a time. There has never been a period in history when the gospel was stopped. Never, ever, never. Despite however the powerful authorities around them, despite the persecution, despite the opposition, despite the murders, despite the martyrdoms, there has never been a moment, never been a season when this has been stopped. But wait a second. You say, wait a second, wait a second. But Peter, James, and John, they died. So what's going on with the math here? Peter, 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 we're told uh, from, from tradition, he died in Rome, crucified. Uh, John, was, he died in exile on Patmos. And James, well, in Acts chapter 12, he's beheaded. These guys died. So how come it didn't end? Because the answer is it's not with these men. It's not with these men. It's with the man. This is not founded, this is not founded on the work of the apostles. This is founded on the life and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if you could kill him, I suppose it would end. But you know what? You can't kill Jesus. That happened, and he defeated it. He broke the back of death. He will never die again. And so, therefore, this will never end. Loved ones, the gospel cannot be stopped because Jesus cannot be stopped. That's the truth. The power over death is the confidence that the disciples have in this very moment. You see, right in this very moment, standing before worldly authorities, Peter and the boys know that by the grace of God, they are not in charge, but God is. By the grace of God, by the unfailing grace of God, they find unstoppable power. The gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel train is moving forward because it's being pushed, pushed by the hands of an unstoppable God. Again, the gospel can't be stopped because God cannot be stopped. And listen, when the unfailing grace of God, when the unfailing grace of God is stoking the fires of the love for the gospel in your life, then you will see unstoppable power manifest in your life. You see what's happening, don't you? You see what's happening? Confidence and faith is beginning to rise, not in self, but in God who does anything. so, so, So it doesn't matter if you don't have any education. If God can give unfailing grace and take fishermen 
and stand them up in the temple court to preach the gospel, then he can use you to show his power. If God, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you feel strong. If God can give unfailing grace and take a boy to kill a giant, he can use you to show his unstoppable power. It doesn't matter if you're articulate. If God can give unfailing grace and take a stutterer and challenge a pharaoh, he can use you to show his power. It doesn't matter if you're perfect. If God can give unfailing grace and take a man who denied Christ three times to stand him in front of a high priest, he can use you to show his power. It doesn't matter if you're perfect. It doesn't matter if you've got clean hands. If God can give unfailing grace and take a murderer, the murderer of the apostle Paul, and put him and send him places where the gospel has never been, then God can take you and he can use you to show his unstoppable power. If God can stand in front of you this morning, a man with a foul mouth, a man who who preached the gospel of self, a man who cut others down, if God can stand you in front of you today and, and, and preach the gospel, then he can take you in your life. He can show your power. Do you understand? Do you understand? It's not about you. It's about the God who is unstoppable in your life. That's the reality. That's what makes this gospel so unstoppable, loved ones. And as faith begins to rise, as faith begins to rise, we see this truth. We see this truth that you do not have to be perfect. You just need the grace of God. But listen, without the grace of God, nothing, nothing happens. More reason to pray. More reason to ask for this grace. More reason to come this Wednesday. Well, with that unfailing grace, the unstoppable power of God drives the engine on. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to those who would believe. It's God's power. It's not ours. It's our confidence in that. If it's of God, you won't be able to throw them. That's what Gamaliel says, and he's right. He's right. All right, let's move on to our last point. One more cattle catcher out front. One more log on the fire. Listen, when I choose to love the gospel, we've seen this so far, I will witness unstoppable obedience in my life. I'll see unstoppable power in my life through the unfailing grace of God. But now I want you to see this thirdly. You'll see unstoppable joy fueled by unending hope. Unstoppable joy fueled by unending hope. Go back with me to verse 39. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to opposing God. So they took his advice. Verse 40, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. I don't know about you, but it sure doesn't look like they took his advice. Leave them alone. Let them go. Don't touch them. Well, they call them back in the room, and they beat them. Literally, they whip them with a whip. They tell them to stop preaching the gospel. And this, by the way, is the first recorded persecution, physical persecution of the church. And it doesn't end. It didn't end. There's not been a day since that where there hasn't been physical persecution upon the church. It just happens. And as we saw last weekend, last century was the most harshest, most violent most awful persecution of the church to this date. It's not ending. But the difference between the believer in Jesus Christ and the one who doesn't know him is where the suffering in the world would bring despair, suffering for the believer can bring such joy. Suffering for the sake of Christ. Look at verse 41. Then they, as in immediately after then, then 
they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left rejoicing. They left rejoicing because they could suffer for the name. Whose name? It's Jesus' name. Picture the scene, okay? They're leaving the court. They're let out of the Sanhedrin. They walk out, and they're joyful, beaten, battered, bloodied men, smiles on their faces. Can you believe, Peter? Can you believe, James, that we suffer the same with Christ? We got what he got. We're with him. Joy rises in their hearts. Why are they feeling this way? Why is there joy in the midst of suffering? Why can there be joy in the midst of our suffering? Well, because earthly honor meant nothing to them. They saw things differently. They saw the gospel. It had come into their lives. They held to the truth that through them, the grace of God, they believed. They knew that nothing in this world would separate them from the love of Christ. They knew that this world and all of its desires and all of its passions and all the things that the world says are important are just temporary and fleeting. And that the permanent joy found in Jesus Christ is not to be traded away for anything. Nothing is worth trading away for the joy I find in Jesus Christ. It's unstoppable joy fueled by unending hope. Eyes on the prize, eyes to the finish line. They're looking, and that fills their heart with joy. And not surprising at all, the result, very, very expected. Look at verse 42, our last verse. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. No one's surprised by this, right? In their homes, and, and by the way, did you see this? In the temple. Do you know what that means? Right next door to the Sanhedrin, within earshot. There they go again. We just, right next door, that's the boldness. They keep preaching the gospel. And like a freight train, the gospel moves forward, unstoppable, fueled by the hope that is to come, joy in their hearts. Listen, loved ones, the gospel cannot be stopped. The Voice of the Martyrs uh, published this article recently on their website. A lot of stories coming out of the Middle East. I want to share with you just one. Following the martyrdom of Coptic Christian men by the Libyan Islamic State, Militants in, in February of 2015, the names of 21 of the martyrs were widely shared. These men were kidnapped from Libya where they were working. Initially, it was believed that all of the men were killed for their faith, were from small villages in Egypt. However, the name in the background of one of these men, the only black man in the line, was unknown. Matthew Ayerga was soon identified by friends after being recognized in the video footage of the killings released by ISIS. Matthew was from Chad. He'd gone missing since January, captured by one of the radical groups in Libya who had kidnapped hundreds, both Muslim and Christian. The video made public on February 15th shows that each of the men uh, dressed in orange jumpsuits, kneeling on the beach with their black cloth attackers standing behind them. Each one is systematically killed, and the video clearly shows many of the men praying to the Lord Jesus Christ in their final moments. Here's the interesting thing. At the time of his capture, Matthew was not a Christian. However, when moments before his death, the ISIS extremists demanded that he follow Islam, Matthew turned them down. Witnessing the immense faith of the Egyptian believers, having been imprisoned with them for a month, Matthew had decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. On the camera, one of the terrorists asked Matthew, do you reject Christ? And Matthew says, their God is my God. And he became one of the 21 men laying down their lives for Christ that day. 
Let me ask you this question. How can you stop something like that? How can you stop something when truth is poured onto its followers and their hearts understand rightly the truth that radical obedience comes about in their lives, willing to be obedient even to the point of death? How do you stop something that, that, that when, when, when people are involved in, they receive the power of an omnipotent God given by the gracious hand of that same God? How do you stop something when their believers and their followers rejoice when you persecute them, rejoice even more in the midst of the difficult trial, even in the face of death with their eyes fixed upon eternity? How can you stop something like this? The answer is you cannot. You can't. So I end with the same question I began with. Are you following this train? Do you love it too? Do you love the truths that fuel obedience in your life? Do you love the grace of God that delivers you such power in your life? Power to overcome sin. Power to overcome temptation. Do you love the hope fixed before you, even in the midst of difficult, difficult days? Do you love the hope of the day that is to come, when all the tears will be wiped away? Do you love the gospel? Listen, listen, I hope you do. I hope you love it. And I hope you recognize that it cannot be stopped. I think more than anything, that's what the Lord wants for us today. To love it again. To embrace it again. To desire to embrace it. To desire to love it again. What I think the Lord wants from us today is hearts that are willing to believe these truths. To sit there and say, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. I, I, I will follow. The gospel's going to be my life. I know it's going to cost me. I know it's not going to be easy. I know there may be difficulty in relationships. But this is what I was here for. This is, why God, this is why God gave me life. This is my purpose for the rest of my days. To love the gospel, have it transform me and reach out to others. I love it. Please help me, Lord. I think the Lord wants from us through this series of renewed purpose, realizing what's really important. A new perspective on things. Seeing life for what it really is and a new passion in our hearts. Not for the things of the world, not for the things that go away in 10, 15, 20 years, but for the things that last for eternity. No more excuses. I think what the Lord wants from us is hearts that are willing to say, yes, Lord, I want that gospel to advance in my life. Please, Lord. Let's pray. So, Lord, we need you. We call out to you now and we say, please, Lord, please, light a fire. Change us, renew us, restore us. We want you, Lord. We want this truth, this truth of the gospel in our lives, changing us and then pouring out of us. God, I pray that you would give us a boldness in you, a love for you, and what you've done for us. A recognition again of how lost we were apart from you. And how kind and how gracious and how awesomely loving you were to give us life in you. Not because of anything we had done. Not because we were clever or smart or figured it out. Not because we were beautiful or good looking. But because of your rich grace upon us. We sit with life today. And God with us with life today. Lord please would we not be found sleeping this life is too short. There are those outside that are perishing. God, please, please, please give grace. Please open mouths. 
God, I pray for that. I pray for that. That wife here today who leaves here and goes home alone. Who walks back in to a husband who does not know, to children who are lost. God, I pray for strength. I pray, God, that you would give her the boldness to say, today, today, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. Lord, I pray for that man who, who travels into work every day surrounded all day long with unbelievers who knows what the truth is but will not listen. God, please, I pray, God, that you would give him the boldness this week even to say in his heart, I will follow. I will follow you, Lord, no matter where you take me. Difficult, good, I will follow you. Lord, I pray for that young person who's struggling with temptation, struggling with choices to be made when... They see others making disastrous choices and they know what the right truth is. God, I pray that you would give them the grace to stand, to say, I will follow, I will follow, and Lord, I pray you would open their mouth. This treasure of the gospel that we have received, Lord, should not be sat upon, should not be hidden. Lord, would we not be found sleeping? We will follow, Lord, please. I pray, God, for hearts convinced by the truth. This is the only way to live. This is the only thing to live for. But for this to happen, Lord, we pray, God, grace, grace, please, grace. Be exalted in our lives, God. Make the change, please, God. We need you, please, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.